you can um, continue on with your breakfast, but we're going to start now because we have still a lot of uh, things uh, for you. We have two great speakers. Um, uh, but at first, I'd like to start it off with the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. And I have asked Terrell to do a reading for us. Hi, I'm Terrell. I'm a compulsive overreader. Hi, uh, f- Let's see. Page 5 to 6, there's 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. Far from being a negative factor, the admission of our powerlessness over food opened the door to an amazing newfound power. For the first time in our lives, we recognized, acknowledged, and accepted the truth about ourselves. We are compulsive overeaters. We do have an incurable disease. Diabetics who need to be on insulin risk blindness and possible death unless they recognize the truth of their diabetic condition, accept it, and take the prescribed medication. So it is with compulsive overeaters. As long as we refuse to recognize that we have this debilitating and ultimately fatal disease, we are not motivated to get the daily treatment for which it brings about recovery. Denial of the truth leads to destruction. Only an honest admission of ourselves of the reality of our condition can save us from our destructive eating. Thanks, Carol. And I'm going to put in a few announcements, of course. First, we have a lost and found, which is going to be in the hospitality suite. If you have misloaded something, that might be where it's at. Second, don't forget about your evaluations. There will be one on your chair at the closing ceremony, or you can get one just about any place. If you don't see the box to put it in at the closing ceremony, give it to anybody who is wearing one of these white committee badges. Um, We need help. Uh, for the cleanup after the closing, which means you have to stay for the closing. Um, There's a lot of things that have to be loaded back on trucks and and things like that. So um, if you're willing to help, you just need to stay, and we'll find something for you to do. Um, So um, having stalled enough, uh, I'm going to introduce um, our MC my wonderful husband, Bill. Good morning. My name is Bill. I'm a compulsive overeater. <clears throat> Good morning. Uh, first of all, I want to say what an what a honor, what a pleasure it's been to be up here to, to introduce uh, OA superstars to all of you guys. It's, it's, it's been a real honor. Uh, this morning, I have a, a couple who, uh, especially Mary, stands out a bit in my life because her and I have a little background. First, I remember when she graduated from USD in San Diego, which is a prestigious uh, Catholic university in San Diego, and how happy she was to graduate. Then when she went out to find a job, how found found the real world. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Also, I remember one time when when Mary moved from Poway, I believe, to a Scripps Ranch, and a group of us OAers and some other people, and her son Ben, who, by the way, is is a hero, an army hero. We loaded up all the trucks, and uh, when we got ready to leave, we found out we were in the middle of a Poway parade. <laughs> and the streets were closed, so Mary led the way, and we were part of that parade. You know? 
and people were waving at us, and we were waving back, and we got through that. <laughs> off we went the other side. Uh, Marion and Marion Juan, of course, were here in San Diego for many, many years, and now they've moved to San Antonio. So I took the liberty this morning to look at the weather in San Antonio and San Diego. Today in San Diego is 72 and sunny. Today in San Antonio, it's 90 degrees and uh, thunder showers. So uh, Marion Juan might be looking for some property if there's any real estate here. <laughs> With that, Juan came on later, and I say he's one of the luckiest guys in the world to have such a wonderful wife. Let me introduce Marion Ron. Hi, I'm Mary, and <laughs> I, am a, I am a grateful recovering compulsive eater and bulimic. I learned early on that I have a very serious disease. It took six weeks in a psych ward of a hospital eating disorder unit to break my addiction to sugar. That was 26 years ago. What we'd like to do today is to describe in our own words and in our own language, from our own point of view, what we did to establish a relationship with God. That's what it says on page 29 is our purpose to establish a relationship with God. The, our stories and our lives in recovery will give a clear-cut idea of what has actually happened in our lives over the last 26 years and how we walked through it abstinently. And so first of all, I'm going to share with you a little bit of what it was like. My parents both grew up in the Great Depression. Food represented security. We had a freezer full of food and sweets and beef, sides of beef. I mean, we had food to the hill. And every night, it was a ritual that we would sit in front of the TV and eat. That was our family time. So I learned early on that food is a drug. Food can help me get through things. And I also, when I came into the program, learned, as many of the people do who get into the big book, I was driven by a hundred forms of fear. And fear in the mind, I was self-seeking, self-delusional, self-pity. I was ruled by that fear. And I couldn't control my emotions, and I became prey to misery and depression. I felt useless and worthless. I was not able to help anyone, not even myself. I desperately wanted to be loved and accepted, and I thought that my body was the way to do that. And having been sexually molested, there was a lot of history there, too. And so I began a journey of making my body 
perfect. And that started the exercise and the use of diet pills, which were given out freely at that time. And as the fears grew, one of my greatest fears was to be an old maid. I was told, you don't be an old maid no matter what. So I married a man whom I didn't love, who was a drug addict. And after a few years of being abused, and I found myself pregnant. And my husband wanted me to abort. And I said, no, I will not do that. He left. I raised Ben on my own. And um, I went on to get my first master's degree in exercise physiology, thinking, oh, my gosh, I can get a job, exercise all the time, and get paid for it. What better deal is there? And um, so I got that degree. The YMCA in Prescott, Arizona, hired me as their wellness director, and I moved to um, Prescott, Arizona. Absolutely loved it. But my disease is progressive, and it got worse and worse. And I was exercising six hours a day. I was never home for my son. My son was acting out in school. They referred him to a counselor, and the counselor said, he doesn't have a problem. You do. You're obsessive and compulsive. And so friend, some friends were going down to Phoenix to see Scott Peck. And they said, oh, you ought to come with us. I went down to see Scott Peck. And he described me to a T, the compulsive, obsessive, addict, alcoholic. And he said, it doesn't matter what program you get in, get into a 12-step program. So I went to OA, and I got into the 12-step program there. But in Prescott, we only had one meeting a week and not very many recovery stories. And, but one woman had gone to an eating disorder unit here in San Diego. And so I said, wow, that's a, that would be a way to do it. I came here to San Diego for six weeks, like I said, in a psych ward. My son went to stay with a family from my church. And I had a therapist there who had 17 years of abstinence. It was possible. And I said, if she can do it, I can do it. And that started. I moved to San Diego for my recovery. And I am so grateful to San Diego for 26 years. And so now Ron is going to share his story about what it's like. And then what we're going to do is to share some events in our life that really tested our program. Thanks. Hi, I'm Ron, a grateful recovering compulsive overeater. And uh, wow, it's been it's great to be here. And uh, yeah, I feel as nervous as a long-tailed cat in a room full of rocking chairs, says all you people here. <laughs> uh, For those of you who uh, don't know my story, um, I was uh, born in Minneapolis. I had an alcoholic father and a compulsive overeater uh, for a mother. Um, for her, love is sugar. That's how she showed her, her love through food. And her model, of course, she was the epitome of bake someone happy. That's, that's what she did. 
And so um, my whole um, one-size-fits-all cure for everything was eat something, you'll feel better. And that's what I did growing up. That's all I knew. And, you know, you do, you do what works, you do what you're taught. And it worked for me. I remember, uh, um, and also had an uh, older brother and a younger sister. Well, my older brother, being a firstborn, got new clothes, new toys. My older sister, being a girl, got new clothes, new toys. I, being a second, got hand-me-down clothes, hand-me-down toys. So early on, I got the message that I wasn't good enough. I was always second-hand, second-best, and couldn't possibly you know, be, be worthy of, of anything. And so I, I learned how to manipulate early on. I, took, I put on so much weight, I couldn't fit into my brother's hand-me-down, so I had to, my mom had to buy me some husky jeans in order for me to get some new clothes. So we learn how to cope in this world, don't we? Um, I remember one year uh, when I was going to elementary school, I went to the schoolyard. There were some uh, construction workers doing some work and some cleaning up around, around there, and they thought that they would have a lot of fun uh, at my expense. And so what they did is they, they, they picked out a kid walking through the schoolyard, which was me. They picked him up and put him in a trash can and put the lid on it. Now, for them, they were expecting wild protests and screaming and all the stuff like that. But me, I felt that's exactly where I belonged. I just stood there thinking, you know, this feels, this, this feels right. This, this fits. And so they, since I wasn't protesting, it wasn't any fun for them anymore. So they took me out. But, you know, that's how... I felt as a kid growing up that I was just disposable garbage. And, and, you know, being called all the names in the schoolyard of fat, so tubular and those things, uh, you know, I, all I did was just try to isolate myself and, you know, get by the best that I could. I always knew which team I was going to be on uh, in the this, in this, um, alleyway because I always got picked last if I got picked at all. You know, we played hide and seek, nobody went to find me. So, you know, you know how that goes. Um, one of the uh, uh, things that happened is that um, after growing up, uh, fast forward to getting out of school, um, in 1974, I got married, and my, my first wife, and I ended up uh, marrying my mom. Very controlling, you know, very, very manipulative. Yeah, it felt real familiar, real comfortable. Hated it, but it was very familiar, so I, I got along. Well, after 10 years, I thought, you know, maybe this is enough. So um, I asked her for a divorce, and her response was, I'm pregnant. Okay. So in 1984, my son was, was born in Minneapolis. We had a horrible winter that year. I thought, you know, I need to do a geographical cure. That's, that's going to be the ticket. So in August of 1985, I moved to San Diego, and I thought this was going to be it. Um, things got better for a little while, but soon they deteriorated back to where they had been and even worse so in 1989, my mom visited from Minneapolis um, and in April, and then the next month in May, she went, went back, was decorating my, uh, uh, my sister's bedroom. She dropped dead of a heart attack. She had all kinds of conditions with her um, that my dad didn't know about, nobody knew about, she kept to herself. Basically, this disease killed her. She died of a compulsive overeater. So this is a deadly disease. Let me you know, make clear, there's no mistake about that. So what happened is that um, after the funeral, uh, I remember going back to the house, and I knew where she hid all of her candies and sweets. You know, it's like a squirrel hides their nuts. I went to this linen drawer, opened it up in the bottom of the linen drawer. I found this big old huge Hershey's candy bar. It was old. It was white. But I pulled it out, and I remember sitting down and eating it, tears streaming down my cheeks because this was the last of my mother's love 
When this was gone, her love was gone. That's, that's all that I knew. Um, so uh, I thought, you know, with, with, with her death and with her love gone, the spell is broken, ding dong, the witch is dead, and I divorced my wife. So in 1989, I was a single, fat guy uh, watching television, um, eating, uh, uh, you know, Fritos and bean dip, and I saw Tommy Lasorda on television. And he was drinking the Slim Fast stuff, and he says, you know, I lost all of this weight. And I looked, and I thought, you know, if he can do it, I can do it. So I did. I went on the Slim Fast. I got down to my goal weight, but then I got scared to death. I thought, you know, if I stay on this stuff, it's going to kill me. And if I stop, I'm going to gain all my weight back. I might as well kill myself. You know, what are my choices here? So what I did was um, so a group of friends of mine uh, took me to this uh, event in uh, on the fall of 1989, which was a John Bradshaw thing at the convention center, where he said you can start nurturing your inner child. Hey, I thought anything will help. So I went to that, thought this was great, went to an aftercare program. In that aftercare program, uh, there was this woman in my group who uh, was a member of OA. When she heard my story, um, she invited me to go to an OA meeting. So in June of 1990, I went to the Oasis, went to my very first OA meeting, and guess what? I heard my story. For the first time in my life, I heard that I was not the only person who felt this way. I was no longer alone, and that has made all the difference. You know, um, they, uh, um, I, I, I tried to, uh, I, I worked the steps. I got a sponsor. I did all this stuff. And, and everything was working, um, but as we often do, you know, um, there's always this period of I'm graduated, I worked the steps, I read them all, so I must be done. So I, I relapsed. But in November 22nd of 1990, I got my abstinence back, so I've had it ever since. And, uh, you know, and life kept getting better after that. You know, um, one of the things that, uh, that happened uh, while uh, being in program is that I found this beautiful young woman sharing in our meetings, in the meeting room. And she turned out to be the love of my wife. And on June 28, 1991, we got married. So today's our anniversary, 24 years. <laughs> and, yeah. And one of the things that I've learned about this program, as you all know, it's a spiritual program. We're trying to get reconnected with our higher power. Thank you. That um, with, 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 with God at the center of our relationship, if you imagine a triangle, I'm here, Mary's here, and God's up here at a triangle. We found that the closer we got to God, guess what? The closer we got to each other. So we just kept working and working on that, and that has been one of the keys to, to the success of our marriage. Um, but, you know, life is full of AFCOs, and, uh, which is another fantastic growth opportunity. <laughs> Modified that for the uh, tape. Um, <laughs> and, you know, one of the things that uh, um, happened is right after I got back from my honeymoon, uh, I got laid off. And, you know, I got a severance package, but I thought, oh, my gosh, now what am I going to do? Um, this was horrible for me. I thought this is going to be just the worst thing that's ever happened to me. Uh, turns out that within a year, the, the firm I worked for shut its doors. Everybody got laid off. I was the lucky one. I got a severance package. So good news, bad news, who knows? I know that by doing that, um, by getting laid off, uh, I, it turns out God was protecting me. But you know what? Sometimes when God protects you, it doesn't feel like it. <laughs> so... 
Um, but that triggered all of my fears of financial insecurity and worth and value. Um, one of the things that uh, uh, had happened is that a friend did help me get employed for, for a few years until I can get back on my feet. In February of 94, I did find a permanent job, and, uh, um, and I've been, I was with that job for 19 years. One of the things that really helped me through this is that of the fear of financial insecurity um, and, and what am I going to do is work in the program. I had to keep abstinence through this. I had to keep working the program. And you know what? On page 63, it says that, um, that when, we are, when we stopped playing God and turned our life over to him, all sorts of remarkable things followed. We had a new employer. God provided what we needed. And he did provide what we needed. And one of the things that, um, not only did he provide what we needed, but it says here, we never apologize to anyone for depending upon our creator. We can laugh at those who think spirituality the way of weakness. Paradoxically, it's the way of strength. The verdict of the ages is that faith means courage. All men of faith have courage. They trust their God. We never apologize for God. Instead, we let him demonstrate through us what he can do. We ask him to remove our fear and direct our attention to what he would have us be. At once, we commenced to outgrow fear. And that's what helped me outgrow my fear of financial insecurity. And now Mary is going to talk about our next phase. Okay. Life is good. You know, here I am. I'm working at the University of San Diego, and life is good. We led a retreat up in Cuyamaca. Come back home. Life is good. The next morning, there was a knock on my door, and there was a soldier there. And he told me that on behalf of the President of the United States, I regret to inform you that your son died in his sleep last night. Talk about your world turning upside down. Now, I had been a Catholic. I had knew God. I had no problem with the God thing in program. But this was a different story. This was knowing God. And God, why did you do this to me? There was so much anger so I prayed for Ben every night that he would be safe. He wasn't in a war zone. He was living in Freiburg, Germany, and he died of meningitis because of poor health care. And so that proceeded the next six months of telling God, blank you. And a friend always told me that you can tell God whatever you want, that he is big enough to take it. And I told him, I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to pray to you because it hurts too much because I know you could have saved him. He was my one and only. And so six months, I was there at meetings. People will attest in this room. I cried constantly at the podium. I shared my grief I talked about it. I cried about it. But you know what I knew? I cannot eat over this. 
I was told if you eat over this, you're going to have two problems. You're going to have Ben, the missing Ben, and you're going to have the loss of your abstinence. And I had known from people in program that there wasn't another abstinence in me. I paid too much for the first one. So I knew I had to stay abstinent. But I knew I had to process those feelings. And it was really, really difficult on my husband and on everybody around me because anybody who would listen, I told him exactly what I thought of the United States of America that would let my son die alone in his room. Mother Teresa gave her life that nobody should die on the streets alone. My son, working for the richest government in the world, died alone in his room. Can you tell I was real angry? Ron? Yes, uh, she was angry. <laughs> and, and, and Ben's death triggered my fears of abandonment and rejection. Matter of fact, um, Mary's grief and her anger at God and sometimes at me became unbearable. And so what I did is I learned that a, the, good, the best uh, defense is a good offense. So I got the hell out of there. I, uh, I filed for divorce and moved out. And you know what? We needed that time alone. God knew. God was in control. God's timing is perfect, and God makes no mistakes. So we ended up doing a separation. And you know what? Um, that, uh, that was all the difference because when, when, when I heard all this anger and all this rejection, I felt like that kid in the trash can all over again. And that, that was just too unbearable for me to take. So, um, but what happened is that after we uh, got a chance to sort some things out, um, you know, we, we did manage to, uh, um, to work together. If it wasn't for this program, I would have gained 100 pounds and I would have, I would have stayed out. I would have gotten the hell out of town and never seen anybody again. But in program, I learned that you don't do that. You don't cut and run. That I have a, I have a God that's greater than anything that comes to me, including my disease. So uh, what happened is that both of us went to our pastor and, uh, and talked. I told her how much I still loved her but was just so anguished over the situation. She told him basically the same thing. So when we got, when he called both of us into his office, he said, you know, I don't see grounds for divorce here. He says, I see grounds for a miracle. You two still love each other. And I was shocked because I thought for sure that she wouldn't love me anymore. And it was a turning point in my life. That was a critical, because what I did at that point in time was I thought, you know what? Uh, this is the first time I experienced that kind of unconditional love. And it made all the difference. So I welded that back door shut on divorce. And I made a commitment that I was going to keep my wedding vows till death do us part no matter what. And I've, I've kept that, and I intend to keep that for the rest of my life. Okay, so I got in a grief support group. I was joined TAPS, Tragedy Assistance Program for Survivors of Military Casualties, and for the last 17 years, I have been helping parents as the war broke out to survive the loss of a child. 
And so what may have been meant for bad, God took and made for good. And that's what I've learned through that experience, that any situation God can take and turn around for good. Okay, so what's the best thing to do? Well, I went into a hospital <laughs> and, uh, for depression because I was suicidal. I was going to lock myself in the car with the f- engine running and take some pills and a bottle of wine and go to sleep and never wake up. Well, the car was on empty. And I had... <laughs> And I had enough experience in program by that time, I made a phone call. And that friend took me to the hospital. And in the hospital, I had to learn that I needed to find three things that I could enjoy in life again. And one of them was animals. I love dogs, cats. And so I went out and got a little puppy. Two was that I loved learning. And three was I loved to travel. So I started traveling. I went all over the world. The only continent I haven't been to is Australia, which we're planning to do on our 25th wedding anniversary next year. And I went back to school. I met Ken Blanchard, and he started a new program at USD called Situational Leadership, uh, Executive Leadership, and I got my second master's in business. I was on my way. Things were okay. You know, things were good. And I'm going along, and I even got a doctorate free at USD, a doctor of education. Man, and I go to a conference in Richmond, Virginia, and I'm roomed with the chair of the psychology department. She says, we just have to happen to have an opening for the chair of the kinesiology department. Two months later, I'm working there as assistant professor and chair of kinesiology. Is it odd or is it God? Okay, so I'm happy. I'm doing what God called me to do. This is the life that God prepared me for. Well, I had this strange, strange idea that my students should buy the book for the class, read the book, write scholarly papers. Well, every time I corrected one of their papers, they thought I was belittling, humiliating them, and criticizing them, and they didn't like it. So they went to the president and had me fired. And not only was I not going to get a contract, I had to work for six weeks teaching the same students that had gotten me fired. And I found three things that in this program that helped me through that. One was, like Ron mentioned, I don't work for SDCC. I work for God, and I'm on assignment at SDC. And I told my students there because there were students that wanted to fight for me. And they told me that if that happened, that they would escort me off campus. Okay? So that was number one. Number two is... Through the grace of God, I'm going to finish strong. That was my mantra. Spiritual, tenacious, resilient, optimistic, noble, and grateful. And I tell my students that. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to finish strong. And I did. Thanks.
The last uh, couple of years while I was at my, uh, my job here, um, things started to go, go south. It was getting to be a little unbearable uh, in the work situation. Some things were, were, were getting a little bit ugly. So what I did was uh, I thought, okay, um, I need to, maybe I need to make a change, but I was a little afraid to make a change. And besides that, Mary was rooted here with her job. When she suddenly became unavailable, when she became available and unemployed, uh, suddenly I thought, well, maybe there's, there's a chance that, uh, you know, there might, something might come up. My brother, who lives in Dallas, showed up one weekend in February of 2013 and said, why don't you think about moving to Texas? And I said, uh, well, I never thought about it, but, you know, who knows? Maybe I can. I mean, Mary's been unemployed for a year and a half and couldn't find any, any uh, uh, positions. So I put in a resume, and you know what? The next day, I got a job uh, interview. And within three weeks, I got a job um, interview, an offer, and, uh, and I thought, wow, I can move to San Antonio, Texas. And you know what? The whole time I prayed to God saying, okay, if this is your will, then make it happen. If it's not your will, put up a roadblock right here and right now. Because by this, by this time, I've, I've been really you know, using the program quite a bit. And what I found out was that God had green lights all the way. And uh, it was amazing. Um, Mary, she's been around the country. She loves to travel. But San Antonio, not so much. <laughs> and and uh, so what, uh, uh, what she said, she says, you know what? I'll stay here in San Diego. And uh, you go to San Antonio. And it'll take us a year, year and a half to sell the house. And so, you know, maybe you won't like your job and you'll come back. Our house sold in three days. Is it odd or is it God? <laughs> so, uh, so we knew that this was a God thing, and uh, we ended up uh, uh, moving to um, uh, San Antonio. And you know, this has been for me. It's been a real miracle and a real blessing by following God's will. And you know, this was a real answer for prayer for me. It's something that I wouldn't have done uh, on my own. But you know what? Um, this really uh, made a huge difference in my life. Um, Turns out that um, in, in so in so in April of uh, April first, matter of fact, of 2013, is when um, I started my new job there, and um, you know what? What I'd like to uh, um, end up by saying too is just as Phyllis said in her opening, you know there are promises in just about every page of the big book, and my favorite starts off in the bottom of page 84 with the uh, ten-step prayer, and I or ten-step promises. And I'd like to share that with you right now. And it says, you know, and we have ceased fighting anything or anyone, even food. For by this time, sanity will have returned. We will seldom be interested in food. If tempted, we will recoil from it as if from a hot flame. We react sanely and normally, and we will find that this is what happened automatically. We will see that our new attitude toward food has been given us without any thought or effort on our part. It just comes. That's the miracle of it. We're not fighting it. Neither are we avoiding temptation. We're not walking down the wrong aisles of the grocery store anymore. We feel as though we have been placed in a position of neutrality, safe and protected. We've not even sworn off. Instead, the problem has been removed. It does not exist for us. We are neither cocky nor are we afraid. That is our experience. This is how we react. Here's the hook. So long as we keep in fit spiritual condition. Mary? 
Okay, Ron mentioned that I was unemployed for 18 months. Being in San Diego, over 60 years old, with a doctorate, ain't very, um, doesn't provide a lot of opportunity. And also, besides this, I had a whole lot of resentment to work through, as you can imagine. And I was writing fourth steps, I was sharing fifth steps, I... I knew that I had to get rid of this resentment. I knew that this resentment was only going to poison my heart and not do anything to anyone else. So I, this whole 18 months was on forgiveness. And what I learned is that forgiveness can't come from me or any human being. Forgiveness has to come from God. And I prayed, and I said, God, I am willing to forgive them. That's all it took. I am willing. And God took care of the rest. And I have been able to forgive them. Every so often it might get triggered, but I forgive them. And as Ron mentioned, then God decided that, you know what? You need a geographic. God decided and um, one of the reasons that that happened, and I think that the most important reason, is because here in San Diego, I was, I mean, there were heavy hitters like 30, 40 years, and they did all of the work to keep away above water. They went to world service and delegates and regions. And, well, I moved to San Antonio, and they're not too much recovery there, and I became chair of the Public Information Professional Outreach. I became a Region 3 delegate. I became a World Service rep. Boy, if you ever want to uh, guarantee your abstinence, do service at those levels. I, I am so grateful for this program and that God has put together that one man who is desperate, a drunk and an alcoholic, got down on his knees and said, God, please help me. And God answered him. And today we have the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And um, one of the things that I have learned is that I need... When my focus gets crazy, and there was a session that I went to yesterday, you know, about a 10-step. I don't wait till the nighttime to do my 10-step. When there is an angst inside of me, I do it right away. I talk about it. I write about it if I can't talk about it. I deal with it right away so that I don't have to eat over it. Thank you, God, I don't have to eat over feelings today that I've learned another way to live. And I think we're almost out of time, right? No? <laughs> but anyway, I wanted to close with one of my favorite, favorite verses. And it's from the big book, page 276. Let me just make sure I have covered everything. Okay. It says on page 276, the last 26 years of my life, 
have been rich and meaningful. I have had my share of problems, of heartaches and disappointments, because that's life. Life happens. But I've also known a great joy and peace just seeing all of you that I have loved so much here today to share this with. I have been given great joy and peace that is the handmaiden of inner freedom. I have a wealth of friends. And with my OA friends, an unusual quality of fellowship. For to these people, I am truly connected, truly related. First, through mutual pain and despair, and later through mutual objectives and newfound faith and hope. And as the years have gone by, and working together, all of you that have been there, working together, sharing our experiences with one another, sharing the hard times and the good times with one another, and also sharing mutual trust and understanding and love. Without strings, without obligation, we acquire relationships that are unique and priceless. There is no more aloneness with the awful ache so deep in my heart that nothing before could have ever relieved it. Food couldn't, drugs couldn't, nothing could. That ache is gone and never need return again. Now there is a sense of belonging, of being wanted and needed and loved. I truly feel loved by people in this room. In return for the food and that awful feeling after you've eaten that cruddy food, I have been given the keys to the kingdom. Thank you. I want to thank Ron and, and Dr. Mary. Uh, something she breezed about but didn't, didn't really focus in on, I want to tell you about, is a group called Gold Star Mothers. And these are people who have who've lost loved ones in the military. And like our group, they offer support to one another. And so she's reaching out her hands to them. I think that's wonderful. Yeah, thank you all. Can you follow that? Um, let's stand and hold hands. 
and um, I'm gonna. like very much to honor. You want to lead it? God, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Amen. Keep coming back. It works if you work it. So how 